0: Best Book Bits podcast brings you Leo Richard, a personal development expert, energy coach and spiritual teacher with over 65,000 hours of spiritual practice and 35,000 plus client hours. Leo, thanks for being on the show.
1: Hey Michael, thanks for having me here and bringing me to your stage and getting in touch with your audience here. It's great, thank you.
0: No worries. Now we'll jump into your story but take us back to your early years, how you got started and how you got involved in this field
1: gets on the heavy side here, I'll keep it some brevity and some lightness and stuff like that. But when I was a teenager, I was getting into a lot of trouble. So this is three decades ago. So I'm just dating myself now, but um, so when I was 17, I had a friend die of a coke overdose and I was getting into trouble and this was a person who didn't do heavy drugs and she was indigenous in Canada here. There's a lot of issues with between the RCMP investigations and indigenous stuff is, If she was indigenous, it must have been an overdose, but she didn't actually do the drugs. So my assumption is that she was murdered. Someone did something like that. So it was a pretty heavy moment in my life. And I went to her wake, which is basically like an open casket. And you, know, you see the person's body and stuff like that. And I don't know if it was my eyes playing tricks on me or if it actually happened. So it doesn't really matter. But when I was looking at her face, her eyes popped open. And closed back up, and like I'm had a reputation of being a pretty rough guy, that kind of stuff. Here I am running out of this funeral, bawling my eyes after seeing that, and that was the moment that I shifted my entire life. When I was a kid in elementary school, the teachers used to make a joke of me about how long I could stay still, and my record was like three and a half seconds. And so I decided from that something about not being able to stay still, so I decided to just sit still and just turn inward. I didn't know meditation at the time, but that's essentially what meditation is in a certain way from 30,000 feet off the ground. So I actually started teaching myself meditation when I was 17. I got out of the scene in two days, quit everything I was doing and just started meditating when I was 17 after this kind of weird eye-opening kind of experience, if you will. And that's a pun there as well. Yeah, so that's the kind of start of it. And then I've got a few other kind of life overhauls or a couple other life overhauls I've gone through in my life that uh, really force personal development and all that kind of space.
0: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, definitely an uh, eye-opening experience for you. Anyone would have been shocked to see a dead person open their eyes and, yeah, tittle. Paradigm changing, yeah. So after seven, after seventeen, meditating. What did you do in your early twenties, and how did you get started in the field? Sure.
1: Well, I went to a natural health college, and the dean at the school invited some meditation teachers to come in and teach. The dean was concerned that as a practitioner as a healer or whatever, you tend to absorb your client's emotions and energy. So if say someone's like really high anxiety, you can start to experience that or process that at night or whatever, and all sorts of things can happen. So she brought these teachers in that actually taught energy-based tools to learn how to deal with that and so that you don't absorb it or take it on And if you happen to, then you can release it and find the, like an easy way to get it out of your system. So as soon as I discovered that, I did, I finished my college degree with that but I ran with the meditation stuff and I ended up doing a seven-year program in meditation and energy work in about three years. I was such a keener, I guess, like a meditation nerd, I guess, (laughs) yeah, and I started doing that. And then I started going into the entrepreneurial world and being self-employed and working through that and making a business function and thrive, yeah. Yeah,
0: that's fascinating. Can you circle back to absorb client energy and? How do you actually, how do you block that? What's the essence of that? So people listening, what's one takeaway that they could use? Obviously, we deal with energy every day and, and, you know, society.
1: Two ways. just happens. You have something in your brain that's called um, mirror neurons, if you will. So if someone around you is feeling a certain way, you'll tend to match that. So that's one example. I did go into cutting-edge neurotech as one of the top three, uh, the top three techs in the world for this cutting-edge neurotech amongst neuroimmunologists and neurologists and the works and my ability to read patterns and numbers and stuff wa helps me with that. But anyways, the other aspect where this happens, and so sometimes you can be around like say a crowd of people. Maybe like in LAX is known for being like horrific (laughs) energy, so a Los Angeles airport, or being a zoo or everything's just like chaotic, right? And you can start to find yourself matching that chaos or the negativity that's around the world or the crises or whatever's going on. And so basically, what happens is you come it, You start to absorb it. It starts to come into your space, and you start to feel the chaos, the experiences around you. Maybe whatever. There's all sorts of examples that I could go into with that. And so I teach a tool to essentially a few tools to essentially, I guess, vacuum it out of your space. So it's not like it's like doing. Inner housekeeping, so you'll clean your home once a week, every couple of weeks, whatever. But very few people know how to actually clean their personal space. They don't give themselves a daily shower, but they'll have a shower every single day, kind of deal. But so I teach I quite a number of different tools, energy-based tools. There's over four hundred tools I teach to manage your energy system, manage stress, deal with energies, emotions, learn how to, in my opinion, limiting beliefs, for example are actually an energetic phenomenon and I teach people how to like suck that out or vacuum it out if you will so that you're not like having to quote unquote reprogram yourself you're just getting rid of it in that kind of regard so that's essentially the basis of it but there's a number of tools that I teach with that but the basic aspect is you have something that lets it in and so there's like a hole or a void or some sort of you could think of a squatter where there's nobody living in your home Squatters can move in and you have no idea, but when you own the home, there's less likelihood of squatters moving in. So I teach people how to kick the squatters out, if you will.
0: Sounds really fascinating. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, you've taught so many clients over the years and done so many hours of spiritual practice. What are the, some of the top recurring themes from clients and... What do they talk about in terms of some of their challenges, problems, and some of the solutions that you come up with? What are some of the habitual things that you see come across time and time again?
1: There's a couple areas where it really comes into and what I call your, your happiness ceiling. So in a lot of circles, people will call it the glass ceiling. Have you ever heard that expression where there's, okay. So I consider that like an energetic ceiling, your happiness. So happiness is your ability to comfortably occupy the same space as something. So for example, a common one of these days is wealth their money, your finances. And so if you can't actually have it, if you will, then you can't actually have it. That just makes sense. You might get it, but you'll lose it because you can't actually have it. And so teach. So that's one of the things, and that could be around relationships. That could be around like the big four, health, relationships, career, and finance. Those are usually the big four, right? And so I teach people how to raise their havingness so that they can actually have what they actually want. They can imagine it all they want, do all this law of attraction or envisioning or whatever, but they can't actually have it. They're not going to actually have it. Okay. Okay. That's a big, pretty strong one. I also do a lot of like boundaries work, like relationship work with boundaries. So that you got like pop psychology boundaries saying no, it's pretty standard out there, but there's also energetic boundaries. So when people spend a lot of time with other people, you tend to absorb other people's energies or their ideas or start to mirror them. There's a lot of merit to the point of here the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. There's, that's pretty strong, the self-help space, personal development. So you want to be mindful of who you're around. I emphasize who you think about the most and I, and so if you're spending a lot of time thinking about right now on Twitter, everybody's thinking about Elon Musk. (laughs) They're all like associating and they're thinking Elon Musk. So are they all going to become billionaires? Probably not, but there's an aspect of they're all in that association of like what's going on. With that aspect, and so who you're thinking about, the five people you think about the most tends to create the sum of what your life is going to be like. So, if you're always thinking about family problems, or if you're in a conflict with your spouse, or whatever issues, and you're constantly thinking about that's going to be a sum of what's going on in your life.
0: Yeah, we get surrounded by the echo chamber on what's happening online and offline too. So very. Yeah, very true. A couple of oddball questions for you as well, doing some research on yourself. But one of the questions I've got for you is how masculinity within spirituality has been lost. Can you talk about Can you talk about that?
1: Without getting into prejudice or judgments about what's right and what's wrong, just listen to the whole thing. Most meditation, self-help, personal development comes from an Eastern philosophy. And Eastern dynamics tend to be more feminine in terms of the energy. Like yoga is very feminine. It's very flow very much like that for example buddhism tends to be passive which tends to be uh, i'm not talking about gender i'm talking about like the energy of like feminine and masculine it tends to be more feminine um i w- what i teach is actually western based of so a good chunk of it comes from western based like ancient lost a lot of western mystical knowledge and wisdom has been lost it's been it was destroyed by the crusades and the catholic church and all that kind of stuff witch burnings and all that kind of stuff so Masculine energy has transformed Western culture into more of a warrior, hairy, aggressive as like what masculine energy is. And if you go into like British language of gentleman, like that is a masculine energy, being a gentleman, being like confident, being strong, being having manners, right? And that kind of stuff. And so there's a lot, I think there's an argument psychologically in the world right now about what masculine energy is. And I think there's a new version of what masculine energy is becoming is like more of a modern version, not effeminate men or, but like a strength, like masculine energy, in my opinion, it holds a container for feminine energy and feminine energy is chaotic. It it is, and it's natural and healthy that way. Creative energy is chaotic energy, for example, like you give an artist permission to go crazy on art artboard. It's chaos. There's a lot of chaos there, right? But the masculine energy gives it a container for it to grow and expand. It's like guidelines, but it's not aggressive either, which is one of the things that we've lost in our societies. A lot of people think healthy masculine energy is aggressive. And then in spiritual circles, it's very dominated by feminine energy. Regardless of your gender and stuff like that, and so there isn't really, in my opinion, an opinion or healthy masculine spiritual energy in the world. In my that that is at least mainstream. In my take, and there's a lot of reasons for that. I I could give you the background in the psychological sense of it. If you think about men over the past few two, three, four hundred years with the industrial age, men used to always be at the home with like farming or like they're raising, they're involved with raising their sons specifically and talking about genders now, but they ended up going to the factories and the farms. So they're there from like seven in the morning, seven at night, and they're bagged at the end of the day. So they didn't actually pass all their knowledge, if you will, on, on a male level. And then you come into World War One, World War Two, where men would go off, they would get killed because it was war right and then so the boys were raised at home by a mother's ideal about what male means and then you got the 40s 50s where women were pro- predominantly the teachers so they were raising boys in the sense of their version of masculine energy then you had the feminist movement which basically said we're equal and we don't need you so men have completely lost their place in a society level and a masculine level now i don't I'm not against the feminist movement, but I'm, not, I'm also, I don't think equality and sameness isn't the same. Just the basic gender differences between whatever genders, there's, they're not the equal, they were equal on the same level, but they're not the same. So there's differences into that reality, but men haven't defined who they are outside of a warrior culture, outside of an industrial culture. And outside of religion and that's like the, I think that's a major part of our essentially our existential crisis on the planet right now with climate crises, all the wars we've got in the world. There's only three countries in the world currently not at war, like it's written. And so men have to really redefine who they are and that that's going to be like a really deep, not necessarily the word spiritual, but that's a really deep spiritual wake up call and like men have to really show up if we're going to change the world around because we're heading for a brick wall. If you consider all the like, there's only three countries not at war right now. That's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, no, thanks for sharing. And definitely the war against the human species with masculinity and femininity and even testosterone levels drop in year on year and the agenda behind combining the two to become one. But yeah, circling back to what you said about the uh, English definition of gentleman, that is a very confident and masculine uh, quality and energy. And I like how you said about a container. My my thoughts were discipline, controlling emotions, but just being like a, a lion who possesses those qualities of aggression, but doesn't necessarily act on them and just lays around in the forest all day. You could say their the masculine energy is controlled. Yeah, thanks for sharing. And then the other one I want to switch gears is you talk about taking responsibility and stop shifting the blame. Can you talk about some experiences on... Clients or some of the work you do with taking responsibility and stop shifting the plane
1: So one of the things people like highly seek is freedom. They want freedom from Negativity they want freedom from debt. They want freedom from Whatever it might be that's like the kind of general need that people are seeking as a sense of freedom Whether it's time freedom and the list goes on There's a direct relationship between freedom and personal responsibility and you can't if Without taking personal responsibility, you cannot have freedom. You you just can't. And so, for example, just a side note with a teenager who just gets their driver's license. They're like, man, I'm free now. I can do whatever I want. The parents are like, the gas, the insurance, are they going to drive drunk or stoned? Are they like... They're thinking about all the responsibilities, the kids, I'm free, right? And if they mess up on their responsibilities, that particular kid, then they lose that freedom, right? They might smash the car, they might whatever, do something weird with it, or they don't have the money for the gas or whatever that comes up. So when you can find a way to step out of blame or using other people as the excuse, then you have control. Of what's going on for you, and it usually comes back to an emotional nature. If you and you can control your emotions or manage them, or whatever language you want to use, but as soon as you give blame or someone else an excuse, you've completely given up your space to that person, and they still have power over you. There's people that blame their past relationships from three decades ago and they haven't spoken to them in three decades and they're still giving that power to that person and that person's probably long forgotten about it or whatever. But when you can take the responsibility of, I made the choice to be in that relationship or in that situation, whether it was conscious decisions or unconscious, just like you happen to be in a situation or an area where something happened, you chose to get yourself there even though it may have been like... Less than ideal situations, but you gotta take responsibility on what's going on in and around your area because people, that's just how you get free from all that stuff. You know, like, you can't get out of a situation unless you take responsibility and that goes for the obvious like things like debt, which is pretty straightforward. If you don't take responsibility for your debt, you're stuck with it, right? You're going to blame the government or society or recession or this and that or why you're in the situation you're in.
0: Yeah, definitely. And one of the things that I talk about as well is like the three onions of blame, like you've got external circumstances and then you got self and at the end of the day, we put so much energy on others and external out there that we don't realize that we're just shifting the blame all the time and passing the buck on to other people where if we start taking responsibility and stop shifting the blame, then we become conscious and aware of, of who we are and what we're talking about. So yeah. So thank you for unpacking that. Also want to talk about understanding the impact of, of your emotions.
1: Emotions in it's, and their simplest, most basic form are forms of communication. That's really all emotions are. And, So the more comfortable you are with emotions, the more comfortable you're going to be with communication, whether it's verbal or internal communication or what have you. If you want to get from point A to point B, like up-leveling your life, there's going to be emotions, and emotions are the lubrication, if you will, to get to point B. So the more comfortable you are with your emotions, the easier it's going to be to get to point B. If you're completely resistant to emotions, whether that is sadness, anger, joy, whatever it might be then you're gonna have issues to getting to point B. And it's like the lubrication to get to where you want to go. So one of the things about having a body and from a spiritual perspective, emotions are part of physical reality experience. If you are denying your emotions, so that okay let's get into the denial mechanism or the dichotomy around emotions. So you've got on one side you've got denial, on the other side you've got becoming. And this is like your standard dichotomy that most of society lives off of in all sorts of ways. For like life and emotions and that kind of stuff, then so denial is like you get all this anger triggered for whatever reason, or you're really angry about something, and you go to denial. Deni- anger is a bad emotion. It's bad. I push it down, stuff it down. I'm not supposed to be angry. Everybody's scared of me when I'm angry. Whatever your messages are, so you deny it. And you push it down until something like triggers it, or you snap, and then you go into becoming it. So all that anger comes out all at once. All uh, your childhood anger comes out at this like ridiculous off-the-side comment that meant nothing (laughs) and you're just like like road rage for example could be something like that and then you come and then you go into shame or embarrassment or guilt and then you're like well i'm not supposed to feel like that and then you go back into denial and people just go off of this dichotomy back and forth and so to to, um, the only way i seem to be able to step out of that dichotomy is to really experience yourself as a person as a spiritual being like you don't need that language you're just pointing to the using the language to point to stuff but like where you're truly connected to your authenticity, your integrity, and you listen to that communication. So you're experiencing the emotions without becoming them. So sometimes if you've been in denial for a really long time, you need to become the emotions just to get something moving, but you ultimately need to step out of becoming it and starting to experience the emotion, almost like an observer and starting, then you have much more control or you can manage it a whole lot better. But overwhelm, things like overwhelm and anxiety And what I've seen over the years, it's usually you've got other people's messages in your space that are interfering, that's causing the exaggerated overwhelm or the anxiety in your space. And it's just makes it too much. If you have an emotion that you cannot control that's running through your, I would say hundred percent of the time, I'll say 99.9 just to give a room for error, but it's someone else's stuff in your space. If you cannot control it. It's not actually yours.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Let's switch gears and talk about goals at the moment. So one of the things you talk about is to achieve your goals, you must create your life stacks. And then you go through the five phases of achieving your goals, which is the dream thing. Can you expand on that about creating life stacks and talk about the dream breakdown you you get with goals?
1: So a life stack is basically a number of habits that are deconstructed from long-term goals. How I do it in my programs is I ask people what their big goals are. Maybe it's five years, two years, whatever it is. And you deconstruct these goals into what it would, what you need to do to make that happen. When Let's say you want a seven-figure business. And so that's your goal. And you want to do that in three years or something like that. Let's say that's what it is. So you deconstruct it into a year, so what would you need to do over this next year to make that happen to get towards your 3 year goal of getting 7 figures annually, or maybe monthly or whatever. And then you break that down into 90 days, what in the next 90 days do you need to do to get to the year, this is pretty standard goal stuff, and then you bring it down to 30 days, then you bring it down to 1 week, and then you bring it down to a day. So when you break it down, eventually you get into the single day of one thing that you need to do that day that is essentially compounding over the next three years to get to that point. So basically it comes down to a habit. So there's some sort of habit you deconstruct it down to that takes like one minute, maybe five minutes that you do day in day out that's part of your life stack. So you build these habits that coordinate to five, six goals that are like three years down the road or five years. And so, you have a stack of habits that you do every day. So, one of my examples, for example, for, towards one of my big goals, is I do one minute of being unstoppable. So, I do, it might have something to do specifically targeted to my goal, it might have absolutely nothing to do, but I do one minute of being unstoppable every day. That's one of my habits. That I do. And from that one minute, I've generated some of the most amazing opportunities I've ever thought. Just, I'm going to do this crazy thing right now. I'm just going to do it. And so that ties into the habit of that type of person that's going to create that particular goal down the road. And then the side note, as part of generating that habit, is the goal or the outcome almost doesn't matter anymore. Because who you're developing. So it's not so much about like... Achieving that particular goal, it's about who you become along the way. That's really what's most important about achieving goals. And then you let go of the attachment to the goal. You're going towards it, but you're letting go of the attachment to the goal. And then because you're becoming that person, that goal will naturally show up or something even really much more cooler will show up by the time you get there. Does that
0: make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think you've gone through a couple discovery, redesign. So achieving goals, so less about the goal and more about who you become, which is great. Talk a little bit about elevation, authenticity, and mastery in the last points.
1: So the discovery is just like the quick aha epiphany moment of I got to do something about this or change. you don't create change without that. The redesign is to simply put is like, how do I redesign my life to match this, this epiphany? I got to do something about this. I got to end this relationship. I got to find a new career and that kind of stuff. So the third phase is where 80% of people fail. And this is the elevation phase. And so this is where you get the backlash, the inner critic stuff, your doubts, you're having this ceiling, if you will, all come in at this moment and make you go, are you sure? Are you really sure you wanna do that? And the doubts and what have you. And so you gotta keep your energy elevated while you're going through the emotions and whatever you gotta go through to redesign your life, if you will. Like I've done a complete life overhaul and this is where the, this acronym came in. Like I walked away from two successful companies and a 13 year relationship and so forth and I had 412 bucks in my pocket. And so I redesigned my entire life, successful life, from $412 in my pocket because of I had an epiphany, had to redesign my life, had to keep myself elevated, but like people around me were ripping my life apart, like it was insane, like people that I thought had my back, It's really weird, and, but anyways that's sometimes human nature, and so you gotta keep yourself elevated, and then when you move into the authenticity phase, so this is what I call the what's truer phase, so 80% of people fail at the like redesign elevation phase, the what's truer phase is you've got to shift into moving towards pleasure and in psychology there's this model of 90% of people or decisions are moving away from pain and 10% towards pleasure. So this is what's the what's truer phase. So I have this epiphany, life sucks, this relationship sucks, whatever, I got to do something about this. And you're moving away from something. At some point you need to redirect that moving away and move it towards something. And so if you're basically you gotta swing your momentum because you're pushing off the concrete wall in the pool to get away from a problem, but your momentum's going that way and you gotta change your momentum in the water, so to speak, which can be really hard. And so you gotta find the little what's true. Let's say I need to find a new job or something. That's I hate this job. I need to find a new career or something like that. And so they're like, "Okay, I've got to be done with this." But what's actually true? I want to find something that's meaningful. I want to find something that adds value to the world. Whatever is more true, right? Rather than moving away from this problem, so that moves you towards a pleasure kind of direction. And so figure out what's truer for you—that authenticity phase. And then you move into the mastery phase where you start to like really anchor in the four previous phases. You've so got the inner critic stuff, other people's backlash, whatever. You learn how to water on a duck's back, it brushes off of you. You learn how to have these new epiphanies, discoveries, like personal development is always about new ideas, being flexible in your thinking, not getting rigid on stuff, and being able to roll with it, right? And that kind of stuff. And then you gotta redesign your life around that, and then you master that. And so most people try to go from D to M right away because they don't want to deal with the emotions, but they end up being back in the D after some subconscious, some happiness issues, whatever, that's no, you're not done. You're back here, (laughs) you know that kind of stuff. And so you got to learn how to find mastery with all the previous phases into one, how you manage that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And then when you master it, you always go. like a circle so you've got you go back to discovering because it's new discoveries after you've mastered something and then redesign elevation authenticity and back to mastery so yeah thank you for sharing with that and then just to finish off that you talk about discovering the four shifts which are key to making highly successful conscious entrepreneur can you touch on that a little bit you talk about intention plus energy plus emotion equals action and outcome so can you talk about that
1: yeah so basically whatever outcome you've got in your life right now, for better or for worse. So let's say You got a life you love. So that's your outcome You can deconstruct it based on your intention, energy and emotions and your actions that you've taken that have gotten you to this outcome But say you're an outcome that you don't like or you have an outcome like a different type of outcome You want to create so you can almost deduce it or deconstruct it to figure out what you need to do with your intention Emotions and energies and your actions to get that outcome that you want so let's say You've got your intention, you've got like hidden agendas, you're not really clear about what you want, you know, and your emotions are like crap or whatever, and then you've got your energy is really unclear, it's just like blah, you're not really high vibe, you're just kind of low vibe, maybe whatever's going on, and all that kind of added up, times your actions that you take is going to create your outcome, that's what your life is going to look like, right, or it is as it is right now. Whereas if your intention is like hyper clear, super clear, this is what's going on, this is what's happening, your energy is like boom, like pop, powerful, enthusiastic, you know, all that kind of stuff, your emotions, you're clear, you're happy, you're energetic, it almost doesn't matter what your actions are because you're going to start to draw you start to become the target instead of the arrow trying to chase things. So you start to become the target because people want to be around you. And so you start to get opportunities showing up your way. But when you take the actions, like for example, for me, like the unstoppable minute, that's one of my actions, that gets me the outcomes that I want that I'm aiming for, right? And so people, so that's how they kind of those are the four kind of magic levers, if you will. And yeah, and so that you can get the outcomes whatever outcomes you want to focus on
0: Yeah, definitely because you want to have the right intention. You want to have the right energy You want to have the right emotion Before going into the action and that's going to dictate the outcome if you have the wrong intention Wrong energy wrong emotion and you take action. What's well, going to lead to bad outcomes? Just yeah, if you have a one-minute snap can lead to a 30-year jail sentence Go figure! It's like you can define it that way. I want to switch gears now and fast forward into the future. What is June two thousand and twenty-six, and why is that so important for you with the world peace? Can you talk about that for a bit? Your world peace. So
1: it was just a random date I picked. It's like it's got to have a time. So it's a time that I picked. So June two thousand twenty-six seems like a fair time. I watched COVID. Not everybody watched COVID over the past couple of years, get into everybody's heads, if you will. So we watched in probably three, four months, everybody, you couldn't have a conversation with someone without talking about COVID, like on the street, at the pool, on the radio, wherever you're having a conversation about COVID, whether it was lockdowns, pro vaccine, anti vaccine, government this, whatever, and that kind of stuff. There was like, everybody was having a conversation about it, so it got into everybody's Consciousness now, I know there's a pathway to get into everybody's consciousness in the world and it and like the dynamics of that So it's possible to get quote-unquote into people's heads around world peace and make that actually happen because I've seen it with one Idea sometimes maybe like right now you got the world cup coming up and all that kind of stuff And what's happened with that that starts to create this consciousness about life but you but I know it's possible on a global governance people, responsibility or against it, whatever, and that kind of stuff that, that it, it it's possible to have that dialogue on a global level. So it can happen pretty quick. I was probably three months away from it ten years ago, making it like happen. We had the UN, Hollywood, and like lots of big kind of players that were on board. It, the movement collapsed because of different egos and identity that's part of that intention, energy and emotion aspect we talked about earlier. It wasn't lined up. But uh, June 2026, uh, make it happen. So there's some research that backs meditation, some loose research uh, from like the 70s, that if you get a group of people together meditating in a certain area, it can decrease acts of aggression by 65%, which is ridiculous, right? Like meditation, people not connected to the people, the local people there, if you will, can decrease it that much. So I wanted to start to build that out consciously and intentionally, the number of people, and the, the kind of going, Theory with that is the square root of one percent of a given population. So globally, that's roughly like eight thousand. So let's say ten thousand people coming together, meditating regularly to decrease acts of regression, things like that, around the world, and then coupled that with the COVID dynamic, that is possible to like permeate world consciousness like that. I think that's totally feasible.
0: One thing you said, which is really interesting, about how everyone witnessed COVID imagine like in the future it was the opposite of the daily global spewing of negative information was actually flipped and it was a daily global spewing of information on positivity meditation self-awareness instead of having news anchors you had gurus meditators you had personal development people you had just Positive vibes and positive messages, and literally, like, even breath work. And, like, the six o'clock news came on, and everyone had to do a five minute breath work and meditation. No, but seriously, the global con, the global consciousness would change. You would have influencers, TikTokers doing all the positive stuff, and it would, What you said really struck a chord because it did change people's consciousness in terms of an understanding, but you could easily flip that and change the whole vibration and frequency of civilization through the power of global communication and media. So congratulations on what you're trying to do. I, I think it's really noble and really cool. What do you think about that i definitely think they shall lose their jobs and i think micromedia is huge anyway so at the end of the day look at all the micro media like best book bits look at 10 million youtube channels look at a billion social media channels as well everyone's got their own incubator so i think the question is what attention are you giving your energy to and what energy are you absorbing on a micro macro level when you sit there and scroll through your phone as well.
1: Got it. Yeah, I'm like what you're exposing yourself to like what did I read the other day? I think the average person scrolls like thirty feet on social media per day. That's like <laughs> That's a that's a lot of posts. <laughs> I was like
0: that's actually crazy. And one of the things I like what you said, is you talked about here are the pieces for a successful world peace movement. So the right tools, people, and culture. Do you want to jam on that really quickly and more? We'll-
1: ripping off of Ray Dalio, he wrote a book called Principles and it's a really useful book for business culture and so forth like that. I've adapted it from I was at the center circle of two large global movements, like hundreds and thousands of millions of people in them and what actually works. You gotta have the right culture, absolutely. If you're not everybody, if everybody's not on point, then you, you have these little splinters or whatever. That's how like you get groups that break off and for example, not that I was an Occupy person, but you got like Democrats, you got Occupy New Zealand, you got Occupy <laughs> less than that. And like it's just kinda, like you get these splinters of like different things. So there's an aspect of having the right culture, but you need to have Common agreement. So what I would do is I take some business practices of creating a mission and a vision and a theme about what we're going to do in a campaign. So I actually have an organizational model that I built for Global Peace that uses grassroots and the impact of either regional or global or it, people can just plug into it. I got to build out the tech of it, and it looks like a DAO. DAO's Decentralized Autonomous Organizations via Crypto, like blockchain and whatever and that kind of stuff looks like it can finally handle the structure that I built on paper and be secure enough and, but the idea is you can plug in whatever your issue is. And it goes through the whole like web of their communications. And then, so you make a collective decision without there being a leader. And so it goes through this kind of whole kind of modeling. I won't get into it too big. It's like a big 45 page document on organizational structure, but so I'm getting a bit off topic here, but there's an aspect of like, I could go on for hours like this, but like global peace, world peace. For me, it's bar on the number one issue that we're facing in our world. If we had peace amongst people, we wouldn't A have war. We wouldn't have multi-trillion dollar industry based on weapons, weaponization of people, robotics, AI, it, it would change our whole component back to your component of like Consciousness and you know, news outlets producing positive stuff or meditating today or breath work today on the news instead of Russia just bombed Ukraine again today or threat of the nuclear war or that kind of stuff and like if we had something different it would breathe a different life to you, all that kind of stuff but part of the right culture is getting everybody's collective collaboration into something that functionally creates a direction that everybody's on point with so from what I understand based on research is that people genuinely just want peace in their lives. As like they just want to retire, have their home, have maybe a plot of land or but the general consensus people just want peace and I would say that's probably echoed around everyone in the world except maybe like very few people that are like very conflict driven if you will. So that's like kind of the right culture but you got to find that theme the consensus and then the right people there's action takers and people who don't do anything and then just lays around or lays about and don't do anything and there's and I think that's a lot to do with all the negativity in the world I think a lot of depression and anxiety issues or like psychological issues is, is that the world like I think a psychologist diagnosed the US as a culture as narcissistic sociopathic and depressed or something like that a few years ago. And that's the culture and you're, we need something different to knock that off. And I would say that has a lot to do with the media and the biases of clickbait and all that kind of stuff that goes on, but yeah.
0: No, thanks for sharing. And we're going to jump into a rapid fire question round. So I'm going to just rapid fire some questions at you and whatever comes to mind, just say it so we can, we can top off as well. So what's something people seem to misunderstand about you?
1: They might mistake my intensity for aggression.
0: What should I ask you that I didn't know enough to ask?
1: Maybe my relationships. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the favorite thing about where you live?
1: Favorite thing about where I live is I have a ravine. That's basically a forest on the ba- on my backyard.
0: And if you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be?
1: Honestly, I want to sit down with Elon Musk.
0: Cool. And one thing you can't live without?
1: Meditation. My daughter.
0: That's cool. That's cool. When when you were younger, what did you want to be? Firefighter. And what are you inspired by?
1: What am I inspired by? The collective optimism that's been building for about a decade.
0: One person who motivates you. You probably said it's probably your daughter. Yeah, probably
1: my daughter. Yeah.
0: And if you could change anything in the world, what would it be?
1: I would say the chemicals and pollutants in the water.
0: And uh, what was your first job?
1: I used to mow lawns and shovel driveways. I worked at a box factory.
0: Wow. And your most favorite escape? My
1: favorite holiday destination at the moment are the Canadian Rockies.
0: Cool. Advice you would give the world to stop doing?
1: Would be blame. Stop blaming.
0: Yep. Great. And favorite quote?
1: Eleanor Roosevelt, something like no one can make you feel inferior without your consent, something to that effect.
0: Your biggest failure and what did you learn from that experience? I
1: like failure. I actually, I try to fail. So not that I, I try to fail so I can learn. So learning is like my number, I guess learning would be the thing, the takeaway from failures because failures are the quickest way to learn something. You can't get a university degree in business failure, right? <laughs> but yeah.
0: Now, cool. Cool. That's cool. And if you had to eat, if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Smoothie smoothie and what's your favorite productivity hack
1: my stacks that I've
0: your life stacks yeah and then a couple more what is your spirit animal lion the and what is your hidden talent
1: my hidden talent clairvoyance
0: great and then last two what is next for you
1: having an awesome girlfriend in my life partner
0: yeah. and then last where can people find you
1: online com. so dlrichard.com
0: perfect Leo thanks for being a guest on the best book bits podcast and Thank you for surviving the rapid fire question round. That was cool. So, for more you ones out there, yeah, check out Leo. He's got some great stuff. If you need some coaching, yeah, check him out. He does some fantastic stuff. And yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show. And so, we shall speak again soon, my friend.
1: Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me on your stage.
0: No worries. Cheers, Leo. Bye. Cheers.